Hi, welcome back to Points of View Podcast. This is your host, Monica Quinn, and today Adam and I are talking to Chris Graves, an Emmy award-winning filmmaker who has worked across platforms from film to television to online content. Her work has spanned the globe as a producer-director, filming in some of the harshest and most remote areas on our planet. Chris's credits include The Amazing Race, Whale Wars, and Living Undocumented. She's also an award-winning narrative filmmaker, and her projects have screened in various film festivals, including the Cannes Film Festival, Oaxaca Film Festival, and Hamilton Film Festival, to name a few. Her feature film script, Alone Girl, was a semi-finalist in three categories of the Austin Film Festival Screenplay Competition 2019, as well as earning a spot on the Bitch List 2020. And it was in the top 10% of the 2020 Nickel Fellowship. Most recently, Chris has been chosen as one of 25 screenwriters to watch by the Austin Film Festival. Enjoy our conversation with Chris Graves. for coming on we're so happy to have you of course so we just want to start with a little bit about you and your journey and how you started and how you got into independent filmmaking well i mean if you want to start from the very beginning i went to see Coast encounters of the third kind when i was eight and uh we left the theater and my sister's like what did you think and i said i i want to do that and she said, what, the abducted? Because she thought I was relating to a little boy. And at eight years old, I had somehow figured out someone had thought that up and had put it together to tell me a story. And that's what I wanted to do. And I said, no, I want to make that. And I started writing literally the next day. So I've been a very focused on getting in the film most of my life. I ended up studying theater instead of film because I was starting as a writer first. My journey kind of starts there. I wanted to start at the beginning and see what that was about to translate it to film. So I have a Master of Fine Arts in Theater Technology, Technical Theater. And then I came out here in 96, when I, after I graduated with my MFA, to make film and was a PA and had a couple of scripts. I had a spec X file and wrote a couple of screenplays uh, while I was working on things like The General's Daughter or Armageddon, to name a few movies that you guys might have heard of as a PA. And I was assisting a director named Jack Perez. He won the Austin Film Festival in 1998 with a film that I was his assistant on. And then I worked on a reality show in 1999, 2000. It was one of the first that was US-based. It was called Temptation Island. I think they just did a reboot. God knows why. I wound up going to Belize for a month. I'm like, oh great, I get to be in Belize, right? And I came back and couldn't get hired in narrative. And so my journey kind of a feature film kind of got stunted, but I wound up going up the dock side because I, most of the stuff I ended up working on was more adventure-driven documentary stuff, uh, and then shows like The Amazing Race. I have an um, Emmy for, the, for producing on The Amazing Race. And it's one of the, far none, one of the hardest shows out there to produce, and I've learned so much being on that show and just trying to figure out how do you navigate traveling around the world in 30 days and still make a TV show. And we really were just following them. We didn't tell them where to go. They opened up an envelope and we had to follow them. They could have ended up in the wrong country. Didn't matter. We just followed. And that was pretty exciting. And then other stuff I've worked on, like whale wars. So I was on a boat in Antarctica for 98 days. And what I wound up doing and realizing is, even though I wanted, like, initially I was like, I'm going to be a movie director and a writer, I wound up going this other route 
that some might be like, well, that wasn't what you wanted to do. And it's like, no, it wasn't, but I was learning so much and I was living life. And I was also being invited into people's lives because it was thought-based, right? So you get to be there for people's victories and their tragedies. You also, if you're in post, you get to listen to people's interviews and watch all kinds of footage and you realize how people actually speak, which affects the way you write dialogue because we don't speak normally. <laughs> We forget words, we're grammatically incorrect. And if you add those flavors into what you write, it makes it more real, more immediate, right? Depending on what your character is. And it afforded me this really great palette of experience. And I've been around the world seven times. So none of it is wasted. That's one thing I would always tell anyone, especially if you're a writer, especially if you're a director, no matter what you're doing at the time, there is something you're gaining from it. Do not think that you are in the wrong place. You're always in the right place for whatever your growth is. About six, six and a half years ago, my mom had sadly just passed away. My mom had me when she was 42, so she was 86. She's already had a really long life. And I kind of woke up a couple months later going, what am I doing? Because I wasn't on the path that I actually initially set out. And yes, I've grown and I had this great path, but now it was time to use everything I'd learned to put myself into the trajectory to become a narrative filmmaker. And things had changed. I could buy a camera, which I did. And I could write my own short film. And I could teach myself how to edit. And I could get friends that are actors that are really talented and I could make things, right? And that wasn't afforded to me in the 90s. Yes, I had friends. Yes, I could write, but I didn't have a deal with Kodak. And I didn't have a deal with Panavision because video wasn't really out there. It's just starting. And you didn't have YouTube and you didn't have distribution channels and you didn't have so many festivals that you could make relationships with. So I woke up and had this conversation with myself. This kind of come to Jesus moment. I'm like, okay, so if you're gonna do this, what do you need to do in your life? And now I had been on this trajectory so long on the doc side, on the unscripted side, that I could run a show if I felt like it. I choose not to. And that was what that conversation was with me. It's like, if you use your knowledge of that to take certain kinds of gigs that allows you to pay your rent and save a little money to shoot your stuff, then you can actually put 100% of your energy into that and still have energy left for your writing and your directing. So it comes down to understanding what your goals are and then figuring out a plan for achieving that's basically what i did and then i'll take a month off like last year i took i think all of september off to go to festivals for it's big which was in your festival last year and really became really focused how do i make myself known out there as a director because it's also changed you have to have a social media presence you have to get out there and do the q a's you have to meet people and start building an audience for yourself which is all counterintuitive to me i have stage fright i'm afraid of very few things and being on stage is one of them but to get to where i want to be i have to overcome that i've got a few films like a couple of shorts that have made it and then i've got some other ones that i haven't submitted that were just practice stuff and i was like okay now i need to write a script like a feature this is what my goal is right so i've done that it made it into the Austin Film Festival screenplay competition all the way up to semifinalists in three categories, not just one. It also made it on the bitch list this year, which is like a, it was a start in response to the blacklist by a Vietnamese American writer. She's really cool. And I found out about a month ago that it made the top 10% of the Nickel Fellowship, which is the first time I've ever entered there. So that's a pretty damn good result. A little over 7,000 scripts in there. And Austin Film Festival put me on their 25 screenwriters to watch list this year. So, and now I'm hustling to get it made and find investors. Fantastic. Congratulations, first off. I mean, what, did it, what an amazing journey to kind of get to this point of 
being so decorated as a writer. I think it's interesting that both of the shorts that we've been privy to see with It's Big and Bozo Nova have such a sense of dark comedy. Mm -hmm. Find that there's a genre that you have found a niche from, from having been in reality, or is it just your personality that you write? So I think, I think my dark comedy sense just is me, is my personality. It's not necessarily coming from my work experience or my, I think if you'd known me as a little kid or a teenager, you would have seen that already to a certain extent. I grew up in Mexico City, which is a little different. So I lived there from one to 19. And so I was a bit of an outsider most of my life. I think that's where my kind of dark sense of humor kind of comes from. What's interesting is that there's been like a, a change in trajectory of what I write. The first script I wrote was called Ripple. Um, it hasn't sold, but I'm, I'm actually taking a look at it again. I was on a show and a cameraman came on set and he had a, a shirt that said Juggalo on. And I thought the word was hilarious. I didn't know what the word was, okay? I just saw the word and I was attracted to it. And I'm like, what is that? A clown who's a gigolo, which is the genesis of Bozanova. And then it's big, it's just, that's the house next to my house. That's been being built. That was being built for like three years. That was me. I, I used to call it the big penis. So I just turned my life into art. So what's the script that you have gotten so many awards from? It's called Alone Girl. Again, it's from my life. It's a uh, coming of middle age story wrapped in an unromantic comedy about a woman in her 40s who gets sent on this journey to find a partner and kind of try to navigate that by her father who's dying. He basically sends an ultimatum to her that uh, she's always been single. As you're watching it, she learns about herself that she actually prefers to be single. She's not lonely, she's just alone. So she falls in love with herself. So it's a love story, but she falls in love with herself. And it's, you know, it's an unromantic comedy. So I play with all those tropes, but it doesn't end the way you expect it to. And yet it's still a feel-good movie. I worked really hard not to let bitterness come into it because when we have these conversations as women sometimes, because we're under that expectation. And it doesn't matter who you are as a woman. It doesn't matter if you're straight, lesbian, black, white, Latino, <laughs> Asian, we're all raised from little with the same expectation and if you're something there if you are a lesbian or a pansexual or something else then you've got an additional hurdle to kind of deal with with that expectation but we all deal with that expectation where we're actually taught as women that our happiness is exterior to ourselves as we're growing up we will only be happy if a man chooses us because they hold our happiness and how screwed up is that a lot of our audience is actors or they're mm -hmm. filmmakers or people starting out in the industry and we specifically made this for them and so as a female director what is your advice to up-and-coming directors in general but i'm specifically wondering about female directors who are going in this industry and having to battle with sexism mm -hmm. and expectations i'm literally 19 days away from being 50. That's how long it's taken me to get to this journey. And I do think things are getting better. And also one thing I have noticed, and I will, I will let your younger listeners know to keep this up, is when I was coming up, there was this residual thing we were being taught as women, especially when we were working in areas that were male dominated. So I told you before, I have a master of fine arts in theater technology. Being a technical director in theater, and I'm sure it's still reasonably the same now but i was only the second female to graduate from my program with that like i was already breaking the ceiling with that 
Now, I come from a very large family, I'm the youngest of six, and four of my siblings are brothers. So I think I was just naturally, and I was a tomboy. I see it now, I see the sexism more that I encountered my whole life, more now than I necessarily did at the time. And never believed that my gender made me any less smart or weak. And I think a lot of paths were blazed by women like that before me and after me. It does take perseverance. It takes going to your room and crying every once in a while with nobody seeing you, you know, and then girding yourself and going, okay, how do I get through this, you know, or calling that friend that you can talk to. One thing that I have noticed, so I came up, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and part of what we were taught kind of was there's one place at the table for a woman. Because if a place had a woman at the table, then they, that was diversity. You know, it's the same with Black people or Asian people. Or, you know, we, we shared that a little bit in common. There are far more trials that you face when you're not white, and I know that. As a woman, we're taught one place, right? And so what that fostered was competition between women, which is horrible. And I will tell you, I got stepped on by women on my way up several times. And it hurt more than when you, when you got hit on by a guy inappropriately or when you, whatever it was, you know, or a guy not taking you seriously, you're taught that's the way it was, right? And it shouldn't be. But when a woman stepped on you, it's like, what are you doing? Aren't we all trying to break that ceiling? And the reality is all of that, the table, if we all show up at the same time and we have the qualifications, that's when that starts changing. And if we all have each other's back, whether it's being female or a minority or, or reaching back, I, I am a huge believer. Reach back, bring those people up with you. Because when you show up in a group, not one, there's no denying that we're supposed to be there. We're just as talented, if not more, because we all know there's people that they love. You, the very first person who needs to believe in you is yourself. I would not be here if I hadn't had that conversation with myself and said, no, I'm talented. I have a point of view and I know how to get it done. I'm curious when you first started your path into creating film after having been on the other side and that was like the goal all along. If you were able to go back in time and talk to someone that hasn't done it yet, and they're waiting, they have ideas, they have scripts, but they never have taken that first leap. Is there anything that you could share that was something that you wish you knew then that you know now? I would say to anyone that you need to forge your own path. You also need to find your voice. I mean, find, what is it that you, that is you that are, you're telling? Because the more specific your story is, and I know it's silly because the clown thing isn't necessarily me, but the point of view of that. And, and it was also a chance for me one of the actors in there was a, an actor of color who wouldn't have necessarily been cast that way. It's, it's up to me. It's Big had two Asian actresses because that's what I wanted to cast. The way the scene was written, 90 times out of 100 in the past, you would have just seen two white actresses there. You just would have. And it's time that we take ownership of that as creators. But it's also what is important to you and, and infuse that into your art. And the more specific your story is, the more universal it is. The more of yourself you put into it, the more it communicates to others, it connects to others. I think oftentimes when I see films that I don't quite connect to, you can kind of trace it back to, oh, this, is, this was superficial storytelling. This was somebody going, I think this is how this situation would go down, and I think this is how a person would react to it. 
I got in an argument with a screenwriter friend of mine. He's, he was younger and he comes from pedigree. Like his parents are Oscar nominated, whatever. And I just happened to cross paths in the front seat. And we were talking about Alien and he had a pet peeve with Ripley going back for the cat and almost getting killed. And I said, yeah, but that's what makes her real. He goes, nobody would do that. I go, have you been in situations like that? You know me and my cat. I would go fucking back for that cat. I would not leave it there in a spaceship to die. And it makes it scary, it makes it, but it also makes it real. It makes it human. That is a very human thing to do. And you need to find those moments, whether it's humor, whether it's something scary, whether it's, you'll be surprised at the things humans do. And you need to look for those. I think a big part of our job too isn't just to have authentic stories of you're in, you know, your hood or you're in your whatever it is, you know. I think it's important to start seeing people of color in just roles. Absolutely, I agree. They just happen to be black or Latino or or Asian. And that's something the, the, the lead character in Alone Girl, although it's based on me, I am very hell-bent on casting a person of mixed background who's black, uh, mixed black and white. Um, and then her family, extended family, that means all that, you know, and her whole friends, you know, there are people named specifically, so you know that, that, that character is Latino or that character is of Indian origin or that character is Korean. And so in that sense, I wrote knowing I wanted specific Although Sam, who's the lead character, I didn't, and then as I wrote it, because it was me, and then I was like, you know what? I think this is what I want. Because it opens the, the story even more universal, because the story's about, it's something for women. And if I, if I open it up and cast someone that's of a different race than me, then I'm making it even broader, a broader statement that this is every woman. And I want it to connect to everyone. I want my movie to look like the streets I walk out and look at every day. Absolutely. And, and I think it takes that courage, yeah. you know what I mean? To be able to be a white woman and mm -hmm. a, a screenwriter to be like, I'm going to write stories and put people of color in it. Yeah. You know, some people are scared to do that. Yes, it takes courage, but it's also, to me, I'm like, I don't have a choice. I don't look at it as a choice. I look at it as... I want to help this world <laughs> become more equal and representation matters. And when a 15 year old girl who's a, either Latina or black or Asian comes to my movie and she sees that there's an array of different looks and different, you know, she'll know that the story is meant for her too. It wasn't just meant for some white woman. Where can our listeners find and follow you if they want to keep following your journey and watching your content? So they can watch my content. They go to chrisgraves.com. Chris has no H in it, so it's C-R-I-S-G-R-A-V-E-S. -E All of my shorts that are available to the public are up there, and also my directing reels, if they'd like. My, I'm on IG. It's PG Freak with two E's, which is because I like Peter Gabriel. Or I mean, I still do, but I loved him, loved him in the 90s when I had an AOL account. So that's where that comes from. Also, PG Freak on Twitter, and that's with two E's, because EA was taken at the time on AOL. I don't know why. Uh, you'll have to talk to AOL about that. 
Thank you so much for sharing the amount of different nuggets of wisdom you have imparted for our audience. I think it's just really profound and I'm really excited to see where your journey goes. I really look forward to, I, I, I can see a lone girl happening. So luck with that project specifically. And thank you so much for this continued relationship. We're really happy to know you. We're yeah, grateful for you. I'm really happy to touch base with you guys again. Thank you so much. This is Monica with Points of View Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave us a review. As you know, Points of View Podcast is the official podcast of Moving Parts Film Festival. We've completed our fall selections and we'll be back next year in 2021. To learn more, visit our website at www.movingpartsfilmfestival.org. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.